If you love this podcast and love easy and informative CEUs, then this is the deal for you. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of pod courses on demand with an average of 19 new pod courses released each month. You can get ASHA continuing ed credit for every episode you listen to. And because I think you're terrific, I can offer $20 off a year's subscription when you use my code SUP20 for the insanely low rate of $59. Welcome to the Speech Uncensored Podcast, your destination for nourishing your mind and flourishing in the medical speech and language pathology field. I'm happy to welcome back Brittany Ferry to talk about the use of complementary health approaches in rehab. This is a really interesting talk that looks at how conventional medicine practices can sometimes neglect the emotional, mental, and psychosocial aspects of a person's health. Complementary health approaches aim to pair with conventional medicine to coordinate a holistic, patient-focused approach to healthcare and wellness. I really enjoy exploring these areas of our field on my mission to provide care that encompasses the whole person. My name is Leanne Porter. I'm your host. And now let's hear more from Brittany. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm Leanne. I'm going to be your host and moderator for today's talk, and I'm joined by my guest, Brittany Ferry. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thank you. All right, I'm excited for our topic today on complementary health approaches in rehab. Um, We're gonna be learning what they are because that's a new term for me. That's not something I'm familiar with. And um, the other important aspect that, you know, of course, I'm really glad you are including in your talk today is the varying levels of evidence behind them. Some are have more research kind of supporting their use in rehab practices and others not so much. And that helps give us an idea of when they can be useful. All right, um, so let's begin at the beginning with you, Brittany. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, um, I'm an occupational therapist. I've been practicing for about five years. Um, The majority of my clinical experience is in a variety of mental health settings. Um, So complementary health approaches have really um, played a big part in the work I do as an OT. Um, And even now that I've stepped back from my clinical roles, I'm still really passionate about uh, education Um, surrounding them, because as Leanne mentioned, there's a variety of evidence backing up each of them. Um, Some have a lot of evidence, some have none at all. Uh, So it's really important to kind of set the record straight so that people can appropriately use them in rehab settings. Excellent. All right. And I believe you have slides to share with us today. I'm going to let you go ahead and pull those up. And if our participants in the CEU today have any questions that come to mind during Brittany's presentation, please feel free to enter those into the chat or the Q&A feature and I'll ask Brittany so she can answer our questions. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right, so uh, as with everything, it's really important to start off with some terminology. Um, Complementary health approaches, uh, there's a variety of terms that are kind of used interchangeably and sometimes they're really not supposed to be used interchangeably because they do have varying meanings. Um, So complementary medicine or complementary health approaches, kind of the same term, um, it refers to any non-mainstream intervention that focuses on the mind, body, and spirit in tandem. Um, So the the real selling point of complementary medicine is that 
these modalities are used alongside traditional treatment. So, you know, you're still seeing a primary care doctor, you're still seeing maybe rehab professionals, um, anybody in that standard medical realm is still a part of your care. Um, and then on the other hand, we have alternative medicine, alternative medical approaches, anything like that uh, is a similar term. Um, and that refers to any non-mainstream intervention that focuses on the mind, body, and spirit in tandem. So that aspect of it is the same as complementary medicine. However, these modalities are alternative, meaning they're used instead of any kind of traditional medical treatment. So a lot of people using um, alternative medicine probably aren't seeing um, your standard primary care physician or even specialist for that matter. Um, so it's in, important to differentiate, uh, I guess, the difference between the two of these, but also that modalities such as yoga or deep breathing or, or anything like that can really be considered either of these, um, either complementary or alternative in nature, depending on the context in which they're used. Um, so there's also a lot of concepts set forth uh, by some governing bodies in an attempt to uh, make this these concepts a lot more clear. So the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health categorizes uh, these modalities into two categories, natural products or mind-body practices. Um, so they're, they're pretty big umbrella terms uh, and a lot can fall under each. Um, natural products are defined as really any herbal medicine, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, or anything that uh, people might recommend to patients. Um, so these items, are widely available. They're usually dietary supplements and they can come in really any form, tinctures, powders, oils, lotions, capsules, and tablets. Um, and then our other category is mind-body practices, which is uh, probably a lot more per, uh, pertinent to the rehab provider. Um, although they might have some interaction with the natural products, mind-body practices can actually be implemented by rehab providers. Um, so they're far more general, and it's really just a di diverse set of procedures led by trained practitioners. Um, and everything we'll be talking about today falls under the category of mind-body practices. Um, so just a few starting statistics. Complementary health approaches have really grown quite a bit in popularity over the past several years. Um, and so they've set out a lot of these most common ones. Uh, natural products seem to be the most common of all of them, with 17.7% of uh, adults dabbling in that area at some point in their life, followed closely by deep breathing and then yoga or Tai Chi, chiropractic manipulation, meditation, massage, uh, progressive relaxation, and guided imagery. So a lot of those are the most common ones and most of which uh, we'll be going over those today. So our first one is deep breathing. Um, the intended benefits of deep breathing really focuses on lowering blood pressure, decreasing anxiety, relieving pain in some instances uh, when the provider really makes a focus on that uh, and encourages the patient to focus on that. Um, deep breathing also improves blood flow, increases energy, regulates sleep, encourages better posture due to muscle relaxation and also reduces inflammation. Um, if I can jump in right there, Brittany, we do a lot of breathing exercises, especially when we work with uh, voice patients so we might do what we would call like diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing exercises with them. Um, also with patients with motor speech disorders as we need good breath support for speech, right? If you're not getting enough, that's the power with which we speak on. And if we don't have enough built up within our lungs, then our voice and quality will suffer from it. So- um, Oh, that's very good. 
yeah, we do do a lot of breath work in speech therapy, but I don't think we see it as that necessarily. And that it could have all like additional benefits as well. And so like, I think that's- No, really that's a really good point. That's definitely good to mention because yeah, so then that's that's well within a lot of SLPs, you know, skill set already then. So yeah, just branching out a little bit more and maybe maybe encouraging patients to kind of, I guess, channel, like I was mentioning, channel um, the ability to relieve pain by using that deep breathing, lower anxiety, things like that. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure for some patients, it can be traumatic if maybe they've had a big injury and now they're scared about doing that, doing that deep breathing or doing that voice retraining that can definitely serve a dual purpose. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, deep breathing can be added to any treatment session pretty easily. doesn't require uh, any equipment or special training. Ideally, anybody practicing deep breathing should be in a quiet, private place, uh, really just to enhance feelings of relaxation that, that can typically result. There's many forms of deep breathing. Uh, there's a lot of online resources, some written, some audio scripts uh, that can really help guide providers and patients through the process. So it can help help providers who don't have much experience uh, with this modality, but it's also something that can be given to patients for um, at-home use if they're if it's something they're interested in. Brittany, can I ask you a question? Oh, okay, good. You've yeah. got a bunch of ones there. Because I was going to say, um, like, do, have you ever done square breathing or it's also called box breathing with patients? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different types. Um, I mean, some people prefer to keep it simple, like let's breathe in for a count of five, let's breathe out for a count of five. Um, but there's a lot of different ones, uh, box breathing, like you mentioned, belly breathing, roll breathing, four, seven, eight breathing, uh, and morning breathing. Um, so the real, and, and the image I have here is, is really meant to, to emphasize really the purpose of it. So you inhale, the lungs fill up with air as much as possible, lowers the diaphragm and the belly expands. And then our exhale is meant to completely empty out the lungs to the best of our ability, flatten our belly, our diaphragm rises again. So that's really what, what we aim for is, is to get that diaphragmatic breathing in to really trigger that relaxation response in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have a link here for more resources um, on a whole bunch of, of types of deep breathing. Um, a lot of the ones that I'm listing here as well. Excellent. Would you be able to give me some more information on the four, seven, eight breathing technique on how that one works maybe? Yeah, I should have included a bit more on that now that I'm now that I'm looking back on it. I can definitely grab um, a link for that and give that for for more elaboration. Because yeah, that one not as self-explanatory as the others, so I should have added that in there. And I don't know it off the top of my head, unfortunately. Yeah, I was doing some research on breathing exercises as well, and I came across that one. So like, I knew the name, but I was like, I don't remember enough of it to be able to like shoot from the hip. So. <laughs> I will be yeah. Googling it later. <laughs> now I can definitely send a link for anybody who's interested. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So our next one is yoga. Um, yoga is meant to lower stress, improve mood, uh, can also help manage a lot of mental health symptoms like anxiety and depression when you use it over a longer period of time. It can also relieve lower back and neck pain for some of the postures, easing symptoms of PMS and menopause regulating sleep patterns, aiding in weight loss, and assisting in smoking cessation. Um, So yoga can really be used in a lot of different ways in sessions. Um, It can be something as simple as, you know, certain stretches like chest openers when you're just sitting in a chair and, you know, engaging in therapy regularly, or you can 
um, if you have the training to do so, you can kind of make it a full-blown, you know, yoga session within therapy by kind of really enhancing some of these poses that encourage breathing and, um, you know, upper body function. Um, so it's required to have uh, a yoga teacher certification and RYT in order to lead, like I was saying, the full-blown yoga classes. Um, and that's definitely helpful experience and, and training to have if you want to, to really incorporate this into your um, practice on a, on a daily basis. Um, and there's a lot of how-to videos that can really guide patients through basic poses or as they're called asanas. And equipment isn't required for this, uh, but providers should have an open, quiet space with mats, carpeting, or cushions just to make patients a little bit more comfortable if they are going to be on the ground doing some of these poses. Um, and like I mentioned, a lot of poses um, and even just basic um, like upper body stances can be adapted to be done in a chair. Um, so chair yoga is pretty popular among seniors, wheelchair users, um, and anybody with physical disabilities that kind of make it um, inappropriate or unsafe uh, for them to do regular yoga, like limited motion or poor balance. There's a variety of poses that you can incorporate into sessions. Um, some of the basic ones I have here are cat pose, chair pose, bridge pose, downward dog, child's pose, cobra pose, corpse pose, cow pose, fish pose, and high lunge. Um, so these are some of the basics, some of the most popular ones. Um, and these are also the ones that I think are most applicable to rehab professions um, that, you know, focus on the upper body, like, like OT and SLP. Um, I, I think a lot of these really focus on opening up the chest and, and kind of enhancing posture, which can definitely help with respiratory function and speech function and all of that. Um, so I think these are, are definitely some of the fundamental poses if you're interested in incorporating them. Ooh, okay, so we've got a good question here, Brittany. Is there a website or link for videos, like how-to videos for people with disabilities? And I've, I'm thinking they might be asking for, in regards to yoga, doing some yoga. Um, yeah, I can definitely find one of those. I have a couple good ones um, on YouTube. I can't think of the names offhand, but I will definitely send those to you. Excellent, okay, cool, thanks. Yeah, um, our next one is Tai Chi. Um, so this really focuses on improving mood, um, including, similarly to yoga, uh, better management of symptoms like anxiety and depression. It can also show an increase in energy levels, increased exercise tolerance, more flexibility and overall agility, as well as better balance and stronger muscles. Um, so Tai Chi is another modality that can pretty easily be added to any session, uh, since it doesn't require any equipment or special training. Um, it can be practiced alone or in groups. Uh, this might be one of those one of those common uh, like group fitness classes that you might see if you see a lot of people out on the lawn doing a lot of kind of swaying, things like that. It's pretty commonly taught in like assisted living facilities, rec centers, senior centers, things like that. Um, so it's pretty safe for most people, most people of all ages. Um, a lot of elderly populations uh, use this modality. However, there's certain postures that might make it unsafe um, for certain populations, uh, particularly pregnant women and people with hernias, severe osteoporosis, and fractures. Um, but with some creativity, uh, you know, therapists are pretty good at making modifications to accommodate kind of all populations and include everybody uh, in activities in some way or another. Um, and again, for this, there's many online videos that can be used to guide individuals in using Tai Chi, either with or without a provider, if that's of interest to them. 
Um, so I don't know too, too much about these poses for Tai Chi, but um, a lot of them really follow that sequence down on the bottom. Um, it's all about like slow rhythmic motion, uh, really enhancing balance and really, uh, really focusing on the fluidity of movement. Um, so the sequence kind of goes from 10A to 10I down here. Um, you know, you go from one pose to the next, all the way down and then all the way back, um, you know, for the, for the length of the session. Um, so it focuses on a lot of poses like shoulder strike, advance, retreat, look right, look left, center, ward off, roll back, push, press, pull down, split, and elbow strike. Um, so you notice with some of them, they say strike. Um, tai Chi does have a lot of roots in martial arts. Um, obviously, it doesn't encourage, you know, contact or anything like that. It's not um, not part of it, but a lot of the motions really focus on, you know, like a quick motion followed by a slow motion and um, kind of like advancing, retreating, like they're saying, um, and, and focusing on the fluidity between those motions. I feel like that's a really good practice for helping people become really aware of proprioception, where their body is in space. And this could help um, the folks who are working with our physical therapists on kind of those same issues and, and that they're a fall hazard or risk. And so I especially like honed in on the two sequences of look right, look left, because when I'm walking through the gym at work, our physical therapists are, you know, working with their patient and they're having them walk down the straight line. They're like, okay, now look left, look right. Like they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to start telling them that they're practicing Tai Chi. It's going to be cute. <laughs> Yeah, spot on. I mean, it's it's a precursor for it, right? <laughs> no, that's and that's a really good point about the the proprioception too. Um, yeah, a lot of this focus is on um, you know slowing down your motions, impulse control, noticing where your body is in space, um, being able to do the right motions at the right times. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of carryover to uh, proprioception. Yes, yeah. I've when I've walked up to the front to take some patients back um, for my outpatient practice. Um, I've had some people with really poor balance. Um, they don't have a walker, they don't have a cane. And I'm like, you know what, let me go get a gate belt. And so, you know, one of the things with a patient that I had recently was that they started to have a very kind of impulsive uh, shuffle forward and then their balance would then become out of whack. And so um, I could see where this might be a helpful um, addition to their typical like course, maybe not necessarily led by me specifically. But um, I feel like that now I'm like, cause I'm thinking like, hmm, who could this work for? Who would this help, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good point. I mean, some of this stuff can definitely be incorporated into your treatments, but some of it can even really just open your eyes to like all the deficits that are out there and, you know, all the things that could benefit people. So if you're thinking, you know, in terms of other modalities, like, wait a minute, okay, I don't, I don't know if this patient could benefit from it because it seems like they're really unsafe. Maybe their balance is an issue I should bring up to their PT or their doctor or something. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it definitely has, um, all of these modalities definitely have uh, a lot of purposes. Yeah. All right, our next one is meditation and guided imagery. Um, again, with those two terms, uh, they're often used interchangeably. They're pretty much the same. Um, so th this is really focused on lowering stress levels, improving self-awareness, increasing attention. Um, it can improve age-related memory issues when it's used, um, you know, in a certain population. It can also help manage pain levels, improve sleep, and lower blood pressure. Um, so meditation is another one that can be 
added to treatment sessions pretty easily. It doesn't require uh, any equipment or special training. Um, individuals using this sh uh, should definitely have a quiet private place to enhance the feelings of relaxation, but also to be able to hear um, the, either the provider or the audio file that's kind of leading them through this. Um, there's many written audio and visual resources online to help guide providers and patients through this process. Um, and it's also important to note that um, guided imagery, a lot of times, sometimes it can work best without a script um, that you find online because it allows patients to kind of cater the experience to their own preferences. Like if somebody would rather, you know, rather than looking at the beach that you're describing or the, the video online is describing, some people would prefer to, you know, go to the treehouse that they had behind their childhood home. You know, maybe that's the image that really that really is going to enhance the most relaxation for them. Um, so it's always important to kind of leave that, that location and that um, you know, space open to the patient. Um, so as with the other ones, there's a lot of types of meditation and guided imagery. Uh, one of them is focused attention where patients really focus on uh, just their breath, whether it be you know, labored or not. Um, whether it's fast or not, uh, just really focusing on what their breath looks like. And then this is a really good opportunity to also bring in some of that deep breathing. You know, if they find their breathing is not, not what it should be, or it's, uh, you know, causing them more anxiety, you can definitely incorporate some of that training to, to help them take deeper breaths um, and, you know, more, more intentional breaths. Another one is body scan. Uh, where patients should pay mind to any tension, discomfort, or aches in any part of the body. So this is another one, we were talking about proprioception before, this is another one that can definitely help with that um, spatial awareness, sensory awareness, um, environmental awareness, really anything uh, that's impacting their body. Um, and visual, visualization, uh, this is where I mentioned before, you can imagine your favorite place or something a little bit more generic like a beach, mountain, or any kind of other relaxing imagery. Uh, another type is a loving kindness meditation where patients direct good thoughts towards themselves and then to others around them. And then skillful compassion where they focus on one person and note what feelings come up. Uh, so that's a good one for kind of enhancing empathy and, and really focusing on some of those mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. um, we also have resting awareness where patients are thought to acknowledge thoughts that come up, but let them pass and allow the mind to rest. Um, a big analogy that therapists like to use for that resting awareness is, um, you know, focusing on distressing thoughts that might be uncomfortable for the patient but acknowledging them as you would acknowledge kind of the waves in the ocean. So, you know, they're coming and they're going, but letting them pass and not letting them um, interact with, with anything you're doing. And our last one is reflection, uh, contemplating answers to questions like, what am I grateful for? Um, or any other prompt that's kind of personally meaningful to you. So these are just some of uh, some of the basic types of meditation that people like to use. Um, there's quite a bit of them um, and it can even be improvised quite easily. You know, if you find that a patient would benefit from something slightly different. Um, and I do have a link for a couple introductory videos uh, for this because this is another one that, that people often like to use. Mm, yeah, I've used um, some of these techniques 
not only like in just my life, like my personal life, but I've um, had patients that I felt like these were very appropriate for and recommended them. And then just ask the patient like for the feedback, like, do you think this might be something that would be helpful to you? Um, because this is a complementary health approach, um, I don't, I don't want to say like, you know, if you don't do this, like you're going to suffer for it or something like that. I want to make sure like they, they can easily reject it if they wish, if they're uncomfortable with the idea of it. Cause some people, it, they may need to kind of warm up to it a little bit. Right. So I just propose it as an option and then I'm happy to guide them through it and explain more about it if they're interested in following up on it. Um, but in my outpatient practice, like I will assign other types of homework too, and whether or not they do it and complete it and bring it back, like I never give them grief for it. You know, if they're like, oh, I left it at home or, oh, I was so busy this weekend. I didn't get a chance to do it. I'm like, that's fine. If you have time this weekend, work on it, you know? Um, right. Cause that's another like really important tenet of a lot of these things is not passing like that strong negative judgment on things. So it's like, cool if you do it, cool if you don't, <laughs> like, everything is cool. <laughs> right, no, that's a really good, um, really good kind of paradigm to, to keep in mind throughout all of this, because some people, some people might take offense to some of it. Some people, some people might think that, um, I mean, this might sound like a bit of a stretch, but there's certain people that might think some of this is against their religious belief, or, um, you know, if they're, uh, if they practice a devout religion, um, and, and, you know, they're very dedicated to that, then they might think that some of this would, you know, detract their focus from, from their God or, you know, whoever they worship in a way. Um, so it's always really important to kind of be mindful of that. And like you said, definitely not, not aim to step on any toes or say you have to do it, but say, hey, this might be something you're interested in exploring. If not, that's it. No hard feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, because how many times in our practice working with adults who have suffered um, an event that has really rocked their foundations and their understanding of who they are as a person, their roles in their social networks have been completely um, reversed and upended, and they, they may even feel adrift at times. And so having an opportunity to sort through all of those thoughts um, through any of these guides can be really helpful because one of the central tenets is, as you've explained before, um, approaching it in a non-judgmental way. It's like recognizing that, yes, I feel terrible about X, Y, Z. I just feel terrible. Like you don't have to like, let that like hang on you and sit. It's like you recognize the emotion. And then like, like you mentioned, like waves, they come and they go. Like you recognize it, you understand that's what it is. And then you, you allow it to pass. That can be very helpful for adults working through um, these really challenging times in their recovery process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's even bringing to mind um, kind of the the transformational change model where patients, some patients might, you know, be very against any kind of treatment at all. And then, you know, hitting a turning point where they do some of these reflections perhaps and they realize, okay, what do I want from life? Or what do I hope to gain back? Or what are my goals for the future? That might really give them that motivation for, um, you know, personal change, professional change, um, physical change, kind of anything. Yes, because we, we've all worked with a patient that was really struggling through coming to terms, you know, coping with what they've experienced. And we've seen time and time again that if they cannot make progress 
progress through that, they're definitely not going to be able to make progress with our therapy. And, right. you know, I'm thinking of, you know, when they're working with us on um, an inpatient rehab unit, for example, you know, we hope that after their time with us there, we're able to send them home, that they can have some measure of independence in their home environment. But like if they're caught up on their inability to process and cope with these things, then they're not going to be able to make the kind of progress they need to get back home safely. And they may have to go to a secondary type of rehab facility, um, which isn't what we want. You know, we want to send people home. The people who are on an inpatient rehab unit, they want to go home. And you know what? Your therapists are working to help you achieve that goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and these, let's be real. Be those management skills like really span. It's from, you know, safety within your home all the way to managing those uncomfortable feelings and, you know, what you do about them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I really like I really like the collaboration and you know how so many points are brought up from this. It's very good. Yeah. Um, so our next one is progressive muscle relaxation, um, also known as PMR. So this is intended to lower blood pressure, decrease muscle tension, reduce fatigue and anxiety, lower heart rate, reduce levels of cortisol in the body and enhance feelings of quality of life. So PMR can be added easily to any treatment. Uh, as I've kind of mentioned for all of these, a lot of these are simple to add in. That's why I'm including them because they're, you know, one of some of the most readily used for that reason. Um, and it's ideal to have a, a nice quiet place for patients to practice this. And again, with this, there's a lot of written audio and visual resources uh, that can really help providers and patients through this process. Um, so the basic um, progressive muscle relaxation sequence. Um, it might vary a little bit uh, from person to person, but uh, it usually hits all of these points in the body all the way from the forehead down to uh, the right and left foot. Um, so our first step is to breathe in and tense the first muscle group hard, but not to the point of pain for about five to 10 seconds. And then you'll be breathing out while suddenly and completely relaxing those muscles. And then you'll relax the whole body for 10 to 20 seconds before moving to the next muscle group. And so you'll slowly work your way from the forehead all the way down to the feet um, while paying special attention to how the muscles feel when they're tensed and the difference between um, that and how they feel when they're relaxed. So when you're finished with all the muscle groups, it's important to count back from five to one to slowly bring your focus back to the present. Um, so for this, it's, it's ideal to keep your eyes closed um, while you're doing it. A lot of people like to, like to lay down so that you can really feel everything. It's almost like the pressure is all um, relieved as opposed to if you're sitting up, um, but it can easily be done in a chair as well. Hmm. Um, I've actually used this with patients who were experiencing things like muscle tension dysphonia, so a voice patient. And I could see its applications to mus muscle tension dysphagia as well, um, because it's really good about bringing that awareness of, oh, I'm tensing muscles here. And I wasn't realizing that until I did this focused exercise about tensing, tightening muscles and then relaxing. And the idea is that with that like negative and positive practice of like the negative practice of that squeeze, 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 and then the positive of the relaxation, you're able to start keying in on what actual relaxation of those muscles feels like. And I'll use me as an example. So I, I always get that knot in my shoulder, right? That's where I hold my stress and my tension. So when I do these and I'm I tense and I get to the part with my shoulders and I'm squeezing and holding for 10 seconds and then I relax, 
I actually relax. And then I really can tell, ooh, Leanne's been holding her shoulders a little more, you know, tighter than usual. And that gives me feedback about some things that might be like slowly stressing me out or something that like I'm not facing, which turns into a stress moment, which adds to that. So I'm just a really big fan of progressive muscle relaxation. And so when I've used it with patients, like again, I get, I say, we're gonna try this technique. It's for the purpose of understanding where you may or may not be holding tension. And the first couple of times they're like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really feel anything different. And I'm, I'm doing what you say. And I'm like, that's okay. We're gonna practice it over a couple more sessions in the future. I want you to practice it at home. And then we'll see if anything changes. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And again, I never give them grief to be like, well, you should be feeling something. Because again, that's not the point of any of this. It's like, okay, well, that's just not a good modality for you. So we'll just toss it out and move forward. Right. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Some people, it, some people really might not benefit from it, but it, it's really powerful at identifying, like you're, like you were saying, the people who kind of gradually have that build of muscle tension, you're like, wait a minute, I've been tense this whole time. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's good at increasing that awareness. Yeah. Because they hold that tension and they're so used to it that it becomes their resting normal. Now, you know, it is their new normal. And so we try to bring insight into that. And I think progressive muscle relaxation could be a good tool for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's face it, these days, there's got to be at least one part on everybody's body that's chronically tensed up. <laughs> so it's definitely helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the basics that we have uh, for right now. Um, again, this is just a brief overview on really some of the most common complementary approaches. Uh, modalities such as yoga and deep breathing are basic and they really don't require a lot of setup or provider training. Um, these common modalities also have a good basis of evidence so you can confidently implement them into any treatments. Um, but there's a lot more in the mind-body realm. Some of these are evidence-based and others are not very reliable. Um, and like we mentioned, some complementary health approaches require extensive training, certification, or licensure while others can be used relatively easily with uh, only basic information you might find online or in books. Um, so the real takeaway from, from all of this is to always do your homework. So be sure that any modality, not just complementary, um, any modality you're using is reliable enough to be used within treatment. Um, so even if the modality doesn't require any training or certification, uh, you still need to think of, you know, your current professional license. So, you know, just like you wouldn't use any old uh, treatment method off the street, it's really important to kind of apply that same rationale to complementary uh, modalities as well. So using only sound methods that are ethical, safe, and have proven validity. Um, so that's not only, that's not only the case for the modality itself, making sure that it's, um, credible and, and everything like that, but making sure it's appropriate for the individual person. So like we mentioned, some of these have contraindications, um, like Tai Chi really shouldn't be used with people who have severe osteoporosis, things like that. Um, we obviously don't want to be putting patients in harm's way uh, at all. Um, so even if you know we think we might be doing good by trying some of these out, um, it's really important to still keep safety in mind at all times. Um, and if patients do recommend or, or they do express some sort of interest, 
Um, like we said, there's a lot of ways these, these can be modified to kind of meet their needs. Uh, yoga can be done in chairs. Um, there's even parts of Tai Chi that can likely be done uh, in chairs with just a focus on the upper body. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can still kind of cater to patient needs and, and still try new things at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and, and any of them should really be implemented really only after you've, you've done an extensive evaluation and you know every aspect of you know, the patient's risks and uh, their precautions, contraindications and everything like that. And then I have a bunch of the references that uh, they do have some of the, the material we, um, that you guys requested, but I can definitely um, add some more specific ones that go directly, uh, you know, directly for treatment materials. Yes, um, so I got the opportunity to quickly look up the 478 breathing technique. And that one was where you do a slow inhale through your nose over the course of four seconds. And then you hold for seven seconds and then you slowly exhale for the count of eight seconds. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that one sounds a little tough. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, whereas like box breathing would be um, inhale over the count of four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, and then you complete that cycle again. So it's four seconds, inhale, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds. And that's, those are the four sides of the square that you just keep going through. Um, you Great. can tell, I really like breathing exercises. <laughs> <laughs> they're good and they're super easy. I mean, the good thing about it is people don't even have to know you're doing them. So you can teach patients to, you know, do it on their drive to work or, you know, waiting room at the doctors, anywhere really. I recently learned about another one. Now, you know, I'm slowly learning about these things, so they're all new to me, but these ideas and these concepts have been around for quite some time. So the one I just learned about recently was counting breath or breath counting. And that's where you, you inhale and then you exhale. It's not timed. You just, you, you breathe in, you breathe out. On the exhale, you count one. Then you inhale and you exhale again. The exhale is two. Inhale your third exhale, inhale, the fourth exhale, inhale, the fifth exhale. And when you get to five, you go back to one. So all you're doing is you're just counting your exhales in series of fives. Um, so what I was reading, it, it recommended like setting up a timer for maybe like two, three minutes, and then counting your breath in sequences of five over and over during that time. And the goal of that was to help you um, like quiet your mind to do some of that meditation where it's just focusing on like one thing so that your mind isn't distracted about ruminating on the past. It's not distracted about planning or worrying about things for the future. Um, so it helps kind of quiet you down and quiet your mind and just spend that time relaxing. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you absolutely have to be focused on it between the counting and then the actually doing it. Yeah, it, it takes up a lot of your attention. There's really no room for distressing thoughts then. <laughs> no, right? Like I'm seeing applications for all different kinds of populations, like with um, working with uh, TBI patients um, who are struggling with attention or executive functioning um, or impulsivity. So doing some of these different types of breathing exercises, having to attend and to focus on that for a set amount of time, um, 
also I've worked with post-concussion patients um, and one of their complaints will be like something that they call like a really just a busy mind or brain fog, almost like the opposite, like brain fog or like a brain that just won't stop, especially when it comes to be bedtime. <laughs> and they're like, no, I just want to go to sleep, but they can't turn their brain off. So I think being able to have some of these complementary health tools in your belt to offer to say, here are some things that you can try. So, you know, and that's what makes them different from, like you mentioned at the beginning of our talk of alternative health practices, where that is in place of traditional Western practices of medicine. Um, these come alongside and they add to it. Um, they're another part of the puzzle. Right, and yeah, in terms of populations too, I, I also like to use them um, specifically the deep breathing with uh, kiddos. I work in the school system right now, and um, I love I love using visuals to kind of help kids um, attend to the idea of deep breathing. Obviously, they can't you know really follow some of the the more specific nitty gritty, um, but just the concept of breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth um, is is hugely powerful for them. Um, you know, I see a lot of good applications with ADHD, autism, uh, sensory issues, um, mm -hmm. or even just those kids who really can't sit still enough to, you know, focus on uh, speech activities or OT activities. Um, I specifically like to use, um, I, I mentioned visuals to help with the deep breathing. I like to use like a different kind of seasonal one every time. Sometimes I use a beach ball and then you have um, the lines on there. And then as they're tracing up, they're breathing in. As they're tracing down, they're breathing out. And so they're drawing the lines on the beach ball. And then um, I like to do it with like pumpkins in the fall. Um, and then the different lines of the snowflake in the winter, um, really to just get them, okay, so I'm, I'm drawing and coloring at the same time, but also I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. So, um, you know, that's, that's hugely powerful for kids as well. And it's something you might not think would work. You might not think kids would be able to comprehend that, but they really catch on to it. It's pretty powerful. That's a, a fantastic example. I could see that really benefiting SLPs who are working with a small group and they're kind of feeding off of each other's energy. And it could be a great way to kind of soothe and calm everybody down by doing like this drawing and breathing exercise. You kind of like, everyone gets a little simmered down and then you can begin your therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at that point it becomes, yeah, as a group activity, it's almost a little bit of a competition. Like, okay, who can be quieter and focus on it, but like the good kind of competition. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I was also thinking about the, the yoga practices, like specifically maybe even doing some chair-based yoga poses. And I was thinking how that might apply to um, auditory comprehension. And it could be a good exercise for doing auditory, like command following types of activities. So giving one-step instructions or two-step instructions. Um, and then hopefully to kind of make it more meaningful and impactful, you can use those visual supports like a picture to help them follow that instruction. Um, but they're getting like some benefit from it because it's movement, it's interaction. Um, I think any time that we can tie in something motor related or something very concrete when we're working with our patients with aphasia, that is just really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And um, you were talking about following uh, like multi-step directions. I was even thinking maybe if you really wanted to upgrade it, let's not do directions at all. Just just mimic what I'm doing right now. Just mimic this pose. What arm do I have up? Like, am I arching my back or is my 
body nice and tall and straight. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love it. Um, we have a really good question from one of our participants this evening. So um, they're asking, what do I try with a patient who is easily agitated and gets louder and louder? Um, this therapist has discussed the patient's behavior with them. However, the patient is resistant to learning any calming techniques or participating in any of the modalities. How might this clinician um, work to get some buy-in? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. Um, I, I see that a lot, especially in the, the elderly population. Um, they get more upset and it seems like, you know, hard of hearing kind of combines with that a little bit and it snowballs and it seems to be a bigger issue. Um, I would see, I would say um, guided imagery would be really good for that. Um, maybe not at first, but really just letting them listen to the script at first. Maybe they don't have to close their eyes and picture it, but just listening to somebody else with a calm, soothing voice. Um, maybe if, I mean, maybe you could, you could guide them through it yourself, um, but maybe to help them really like disconnect from the therapy session, it totally, it might help to put on um, a script online and just have somebody with a really calm, soothing voice, okay? Um, like almost like social modeling in a bit, like in a sense, but also having them focus on just listening to a soothing voice can also be really calming. So obviously that's why they have, you know, people with really soothing voices do these narrations. So just listening to that for a bit, even if they're not fully engaged in, in the, the meditation yet, um, that's something that they can then practice once once they're able to calm themselves more. But mm -hmm. I, I see that as being, you know, a good a good starting activity to try. Yeah, um, I wonder if providing options for that patient to choose from. So it's like, I suggest maybe like this breathing exercise, this breathing exercise, maybe a guided imagery, like where you could watch a video, uh, you know, which one of these three options would you like to try right now? And I feel like that gives the, a little bit more control back over to the patient to kind of take back some of that um, autonomy. And another thing is that maybe rather than present it as a way for like to calm, calm them down, because like who has ever in the history of the world actually calmed down when been told to calm down, right? Like <laughs> counter just doesn't work that way, right? So maybe to, to be like a, like maybe framing it in more of like a, are you feeling angry right now? Like let's work through that anger with this technique. So maybe identifying kind of what it is they're feeling. Are, are you physically uncomfortable? You know, like what, identifying the trigger for the agitation, I think is, is a big key too, because the, the tools that we might be applying to it aren't fixing what's causing it. Um, which of course, identifying agitation in patients who either don't wanna tell us, don't have the means to tell us, or maybe don't even exactly understand themselves can be, very challenging as well, but um, those are just some things to consider as well. Yeah, I agree. That's a really big point because there's there's so many you know things that can underlie uh, agitation and you know what you're seeing on the surface. So there could be a whole nother hour long chat on that. True story. True story. <laughs> All right, um, we have another question from our participants. Are you ready, Brittany? Yeah. All right, super. Okay, so um, this participant is curious about 
Um, would deep breathing exercises work with moderately to severely cognitively delayed students? What are your thoughts? I don't know about severely delayed. I mean, that, that could be tough, but it's obviously something you can always trial. I mean, that's the beauty of, of the deep breathing in particular. It's, it's very low risk. Uh, there's not much that, um, you know, there's really no harm in trying with that. Um, but for moderately impaired students, uh, I would say definitely. I mean, if I, like, I, like I just mentioned, you're, I was able to use it with several kiddos and um, I'm specifically working with uh, three-year-olds right now. So um, I've been able to teach a whole slew of them uh, the deep breathing using the visual. Um, and I would definitely focus on using a visual to have them attend to it because uh, obviously with you know cognitive delays, it helps to have those visual aids um, to make it super clear. Um, but you know, it, it might be, it might be something that you start off with. Let, let's just draw the line up and down, you know, with with no beach ball or no pumpkin there. Let's just draw the line up and down. And then, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit too distracting to have the full visual there. And then slowly, if they get a little bit better at it, we can add that. And now, okay, let's do five of them to complete the whole pumpkin or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think for moderately impaired students, that can definitely uh, definitely work. Deep breathing is uh, a lot easier to catch on than uh, than some people might think. So I, I've always been surprised at the kiddos who pick up on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm also a big fan of the concept of gamification, which is a really simple concept of just um, making a game or like a easily achievable competition out of an activity. It just, it becomes very intrinsically motivating for a wide swath of people, <laughs> myself included. And <laughs> so I'm thinking about this, um, doing breathing exercises with moderately to severely cognitively impaired students. And I'm thinking maybe trying like an exaggerated version, like a big inhale and a big exhale. And then, ooh, now we're gonna switch it up and do a little one, like, you know? And so it's like, so you can kind of play with the size and the scale and using your whole body. I'm just freestyling here now. You can tell me to yeah. stop, Brittany. <laughs> no, not at all. That's a really good point. Like, okay, we have this balloon. How big can you blow it up? Not actually, but just have a big balloon on the screen in front of them and okay, keep breathing. And then like, maybe you can find a visual that slowly expands, you know, as they're breathing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, another good idea is um, using a tissue, um, just lightly holding the tissue tissue in front. And so if you, well, first, you know, you're going to inhale through your nose and then as you blow out, you know, blow the tissue and then they could make the tissue dance. So you could have a tissue dancing party. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, so much of this is even, is even, um, you know, bleeding into a lot of like the oral motor strengthening stuff I do with some of my kiddos. So there's a lot of dual purposes uh, for a lot of these, you know, it's, it's not it's not that far-fetched to say, okay, I'm doing just deep breathing and you know, it's sitting in this one silo. There's a lot of applications for this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I think it's a great opportunity to really get creative too. Um, I know SLPs and therapists in general are mostly creative people and love kind of exercising those juices. Um, so I hope we've given some good places for them to kind of jump off and, and take it from there and see what works for their specific populations. Yeah, likewise. I hope so too. There's been some good, a lot of, a lot of good ideas flowing. <laughs> All right, we've got another question. I'm loving the questions from everyone tonight. You guys are rock stars, by the way. Okay, here's the question. 
Um, so another participant would like to know, so here's the situation, here's the scenario. They, um, they were working with higher level autistic students and they used storybook yoga where they made up stories using yoga poses. What are your thoughts on that, Brittany? Um, I love that. That, that sounds great. Um, you know, not only do we have the, the social learning and the social stories aspect of it, that, that is obviously a, you know, a good structure and a good tool for kids with autism, but, um, yeah, I definitely like the incorporation of the, of the motor skills in there. So maybe you're not learning to necessarily do something functional in the traditional sense, but, um, those health management skills. Okay. Like, let me use this yoga pose. Let me use the big bear pose when I feel like I really need to, uh, you know, get some energy out or, or give myself a boost. Um, so I really like that. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing it with us so that, you know, we can give that inspiration to others. I like that. Um, it's so funny, Brittany, that you took down your screen because, um, well, my priority is always to go through the questions we get from our guests, but I was hoping that you <laughs> You could actually oh, yeah. click one of those links and then we could see the pages that they go to. Um, yes, of course. Because we mentioned talking about like the levels of evidence behind the different complementary health approaches. So I'm wondering if you want to pick one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the majority of these are from what's the I National Institutes of Health. Um, yes, it's, it's right. a subsidiary of NIHS. It's the national. Here it is. Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. So obviously that's that's the um, the really the really big foundational you know government um, institute that is obviously going to give a whole bunch of information on these really evidence based um, kind of storied um, modalities. And um, I have several of the pages on here. Um, so it's it's talking about the health benefits, uh, defining yoga, and then it shows some research on. Um, you know, certain, certain conditions. And then it even goes into pain management, weight loss, things like that. Um, and then of course risks, and I believe they show studies on the bottom. Yeah, oh yeah, key references, here we go. So if you wanted actual um, research studies on them, they list a whole bunch of those as well. Hmm. Yeah, and that first one listed there is use of yoga, meditation and chiropractors among US children ages four to 17. So, I mean, that's looking at using yoga and meditation with children and adolescents, like right there. Yeah, a, a few people mentioned, um, you know, uses with students. So that definitely fits a pretty wide age range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, there's a, a page of these for, is it uh, yoga, aromatherapy, acupuncture, mind-body practices and just relaxation techniques in general. Um, so those are the specific uh, .gov sources for um, all of those. And then um, there's obviously references for the, the rest of them too. There's um, more information on the Tai Chi postures, um, meditation, uh, some videos and, and specific techniques for that. Um, and also some more information about um, the terminology, the alternative and integrative health terminology. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also like to take the opportunity to share a resource that I came across that I'm a big fan of, and it's a free app because it was created and built by the VA, Veterans Administration, and they have two apps, and one is called Concussion Coach, and the other one, oh, 
I'm going to forget its name now that I'm on the spot. <laughs> so they're free apps. And of course, I, I came across them as I was looking for tools um, to give to our patients that I was working with with concussion. So it helps you manage the symptoms and it brings a lot of mindful practices as well as these complementary health approaches into managing the symptoms of concussion as well as PTSD since it was built for our service members. Um, so they have, um, there's two, two apps. One of them is called Concussion Coach and they have another one, Mindfulness Coach. So the Mindfulness Coach really just kind of pulls out those skills um, to help you manage anxiety and things like that. So they have guided imagery, they have breathing exercises. Um, it helps you keep track of them. It helps you like learn the skills. Um, also these were built for adults. So they're, they're, they're not like fun and fluffy. So if you do work with children, I mean, they could work definitely with adolescents, um, as something to, to do, but they won't be like, I don't know. I, I can't think of a better term as like fluffy. They won't be fluffy for children. <laughs> no, that, that's a good point. I mean, I guess you could also say they wouldn't have those fun visuals that, you know, the bright colors and everything that might attract kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so mindfulness coach and concussion coach are apps put out by the VA that I'm a big fan of. And I love putting the word out there for them because I think they're great tools um, to provide our patients with because I mean, they're free and they're very useful. So they don't, yeah, very nice. doesn't have to have a lot of skin in the game and it's a great tool. Very nice. All right. So we just have only a few more minutes. Brittany, this was a wonderful presentation. Very helpful. Lots of fabulous information. Thank you. And you were hitting on all my favorite topics because I've been doing <laughs> a lot of research into a lot of these principles but I didn't come at it from the view of them being complementary health approaches. And so I actually was kind of feeling bad. Like, should, can I even be using these in my therapy sessions? Like, is that even allowed? Like, is this something I'm not supposed to do? And so you've helped give me the knowledge and the language and the terms of understanding when it is appropriate, when it isn't appropriate and how to use these tools for gains with our patients. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, you guys as SLPs obviously have the, the terminology and the know-how to, to know how to connect it back to your goals, um, you know, whatever's pertinent for the, for the patient and to, to word it in the right way that, that really makes sense for your documentation. So um, you guys definitely have the, the clinical skill set to be able to uh, work it in successfully and, you know, make it a great part of treatment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just want to read another quick note from one of our participants today who would like to say, Brittany, thank you for your time, presentation, and sharing with us today. Yeah. Thank you guys for all the great questions and great conversation. Oh, and they thank me too for my experiences in the free apps. I love free things. <laughs> Friend, me too. That's why I'm like, listen, if I know something's free, I'm telling everybody. <laughs> Not just free, but quality. Like they have to be together, quality and free. And then we are best friends. And I'm telling everybody. <laughs> Very true. Can't pass up anything free. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also huge thanks to our participants. Y'all had some fabulous questions. Great interaction and participation tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, thank you guys. Yeah. And I think that will be everything for us tonight. Any last lingering questions you have like 20 seconds until the clock turns. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, I think we will wrap up there tonight, everyone. Have a great Monday evening. And again, Brittany, thank you. You're a treasure. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. <laughs>